call is now being recorded. Yes, it's working. How do I sound? Does my, my mic sound okay? Your mic? I mean, you're on your phone. Your phone mouth. My phone mouth. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, um, we won't keep it too long so because we have your interview with... Um, Robert Benet. I also we can't keep it long because I have I have a hundred things to do and I won't finish them. So do I. I I am I feel overwhelmed. I feel I just need to get through this week and next Monday and then um and then I I I'll be okay. Okay. I just gotta finish that. Um, should we try singing the song? Sure. That was a we'll just word. do the, well, well, This doesn't work. So we'll just try it. Okay. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. <coughs> Pick a note. You choose. Yeah, you do. What's going on with dancing? With dancing stuff. What's, stuff hap- what's happening? Happening with dancing. Things. What's, what's going on? on? What's happening? What's going, going on with dance, 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 dance? I didn't. We just I both ended up singing. Pretty good. Oh, that was, you sang my well, part. That's pretty much, Thank you very much. I did. That's, well, you know, that's pretty much where it's at right now. I'm, <laughs> if someone tells me go left, I'll just go left. Um, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have to just keep going. Um, how are you doing? You're working like a mad woman because you're making costumes right now? Yeah, we had we made costumes for Gwen Welliver's new piece, which opens this week, and then we're working on a wedding dress for Tess Reichlin, and this leotard for Drew Jacoby, and then drag looks for Pete Russell and Taylor, and um, then, you know, like, but the truth of the matter is, is that, like, anything that we actually, oh, and then, like, designing things for Matthew Neenan, and, and then Harriet's leaving for Germany tomorrow and I'm leaving for Boston tomorrow and then I'm going to Is she going to Germany for a show? She's going to Dresden to work on Justin Peck's Heatscape for before and I'm going to join her in a week because I have this show in Boston for Ryan McNamara and then I'm going to go next Tuesday or Wednesday I don't know I'm going to go next week to Germany (laughs) oh god Um, and so like a lot of you know we have to get things to the people before we leave and you know the drag parties next Sunday are you going to be here for it so here's the thing is next Monday is my last day of classes and then and I teach from 10 to 7 and then Tuesday is first day of Peter Pan rehearsal uh, which starts at 10.30 so it's I, I don't know. I, 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 it depends on if I feel like I have enough energy to drive upstate at, you know, 10 p.m. and get in at midnight and like go to sleep and then wake up and do Monday and then drive back on Monday night. So right. it's it's kind of here's the thing though, listeners is Russell Jansen is throwing. Um, is it just called drag party? It, it benefits Callum Lord, which is an incredible. Uh, <laughs> organization that I've used and almost everyone I know has used. Have you ever gone to Callum Lord Reed? Yeah. Yeah. See, we everyone's used it. And um <laughs> if you don't get health care, they take care of you. <laughs> I started to think about the procedures I've had done there. And I was like, should I say that on the podcast? 
Well, you can. I mean, it's it's a place where um, uh-huh. if you don't have health, I mean, I started going there when I was like 18 in New York, and it's a uh, it, it's a place for for queer folk, and um, uh, and there's also a, a great trans program there, and um, it's it's amazing. It's I'm so grateful it exists in New York, and um, when I have money, I donate to it, and. Um, so it, because I used, that's where I went when I didn't have healthcare and they really took yeah. care of me and, um, and have sliding scale prescriptions and based on your income level, um, they also helped me go on Medicaid when I was on Medicaid. Um, and, and go grab uh, a handful of condoms. You can, you can. So I, I think I they hand out prep Right? Really? They hand out like lozenges. I'm serious. Yeah. I think you go in there and you say, I'd like prep and they give you like a jar. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Good, 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 good. So yeah. Russell Jansen has a drag part. We're telling our listeners about this because this episode will come out on Friday and the party's on Sunday. Perfect. Um, and um, Reed, where is it? You can go to Russell Jansen's Instagram and it's all over that. It's at uh, Bizarre um, Bar in Bushwick on Sunday night. And there's going to, and it's like, uh, I can't remember how much it costs, but it's like, I don't know, 20 bucks or something. And then additional, each $15 you give, you get another raffle ticket, and there's going to be prizes, like a Reed and Harriet bathing suit. And wow. a ticket to watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade, which that sounds truly like a living nightmare to me. But <laughs> a ticket to watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade? Right, from, like, you know, live and the bleachers. Ugh. Well, I wouldn't want to win that. <laughs> no. I would you wouldn't put no, that would be truly a nightmare. This yeah. sounds awful. It should it should be like go on a date with Reed and Jack. Oh, that like, also could be just, awful. <laughs> no, it would be not, it would be like be like a kind of experience with going with jams and stuff over a cup of coffee, you know, where it's kinda oh. like what happens when you and I go out to eat with someone and we just dominate the conversation and they sit there. That sounds just like we're bad people. It, it's not that we're bad people. It's just that people are into it. You know, people, every people like to watch TV or hang out with two people who have a lot to say. You know what I mean? Every everyone every I, yeah people like to be entertained. They like to go to the ballet. You know they like to to go see plays. I saw a play. I saw um, Jen Harris. Jen's play. And, uh, uh, she's Chris so Durant. amazing. And Chris. Christine Nielsen, who I did a Durang premiere with years ago, is a true genius. And her, watching her and Jen Harris is it's wonderful. It's really like, why why haven't I seen this sooner? Um, and it really made me want to direct a play for the two of them. So you heard it, you heard it here first. I'm going to do that. Not not one I would write, but it's a, it's a play I have in mind, actually, for the two do of them. Do you know how long, how long is that play running? Um, at least a month. Okay. Well, maybe I can see it when I come it's back. It's called from turning break. off. Yeah, it's called turning off the morning news. It is. Um, uh, it's it's good. I mean, Christopher Durang is really he's one of our. I I feel very fortunate that I I, mean, I worked with him when I was nineteen on the premiere, and I've he was also my first monologue in high school. He's, uh, when we think dark comedy, we think Chris Durang, he's able to, he, he talks about things that are going on socially and really skewers them with um, a tremendous uh, outlandish acerbic wit. 
he went to Yale with Christine and Sigourney Weaver. So they've all known each other since then, which is why Sigourney's done a lot of his work. She was in his uh, his last big play, which went to Broadway and won a Tony. Um, wow. So hopefully this play also comes to New York. I mean, it's about... That'd be great. Uh, well, it's about a, a middle-aged <laughs> white man who um, wants to just kill everybody. He wants to go, like, shoot people in a mall because he's depressed. Uh, and then what happens from there as a comedy? Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've Jen, been listening to Jen oh, talk all about good. it on Touche. So, everybody, if you need some info, just tune into Jen Harris and Jeff Hiller's podcast, Touche. And you'll really you get can tune in. On, uh, you can tune into Touche. I love. I, I was. I love listening to that. I was just on the phone with Jen last night, talking about healthcare because I need to re-sign up for my healthcare at Bard, and. Um, I, it's really just, I, do I go with a high PPO or a low PPO? And, um, and Jeremy, what's, the P- my what's plan. PPO? What's PPO? I have no idea what that means, but with the P- high one, if I, PPO, PPO, <clears throat> who knows? Okay. Who knows? You know, pay, uh, huh? Pay, I pay for overage or something. Okay. Well, what happens with a high PPO is you pay, a lot more money, and then if you see any specialists, you're de- outside of network. Your deductible is only five hundred dollars. If you go with a low PPO, you spend less money, and if you see any specialists out of network, your deductible is ten thousand oh. dollars. So it's it's a kind of. But then I was like, well, what specialists do I see? Like, I you know I I I don't. Uh, I mean, I guess therapy, but, you know, I'm terrible at submitting those claims anyway. So, you know, what difference does it make? Um, So I don't know. And then, you know, anyone I've talked to has seemed to be like, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Well, here's what I, I always end up, what I end up looking at for me, this is my advice to people looking at health insurance. I just look at the maximum out of pocket. So, that's basically like this is what I'm going to end up owing if something catastrophic happens. So look right. at the maximum out of pocket, and that's the amount of money that you can count on losing if something bad happens to you. So well, what's you know. different is because one's specialist and one's a network. So my out of pocket is very different between those two. Like that's what's weird. You know what I mean? I guess I so don't like, see. I I just don't. Specialist. I mean, I guess if I wanted to get like scar removal or something, that would be like a special. My maximum out of pocket is exactly the same for both the low and high PPO. It's just that if I wanted to go out of network, then that's when my maximum out of pocket would go to like fifty thousand dollars instead of eight thousand dollars. All right. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Are you, know you planning I mean? on getting like a, you know, like some cheap Faceless. implants or something? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it's really time for me to like fully get into. Wasn't that fun seeing Galliano and Madonna just being us at, uh, you know, what we're going to be like in two weeks when we're totally exhausted? Uh, it was Gautier, not Galliano. Oh, right. I said Galliano because I was looking at when Galliano dressed her for the Evita premiere, and I was thinking how amazing that was. Um, <laughs> I mean, talk like I mean, talk about weird facelifts. Look at Galliano's face these days. It's really weird. Oh, I haven't. I have. I haven't. I haven't seen him, and I haven't seen. Take him a look. They got rid of him for being an anti-Semite or whatever. Um, 
He's in the, uh, look at the, Manolo, the Manolo Blahnik documentary on Netflix. He makes some prominent oh, appearances. Oh, I that. People you said should, it was really very, good. Manolo's charming, but John Galliano looks very claymation. Yeah, yeah. Well, he had a lot going on. Um, what show did you? Weren't you seeing a show on Saturday? I saw Jack. I saw what I did saw you go shows. see? I saw everything. I saw uh, New York City Ballet do Goldberg variations and um, Les Nose. I sent a voicemail. Did you listen? Where did you send that voicemail? Neither Jeremy or I got that. You can't be kidding. You have to be kidding. I'm looking it up I'll right resend now. it. It's in, I sent it to both your emails. But it doesn't matter. I'll resend it. So I, I recorded um, it. You right. did it because we, don't, we didn't get it. I'm okay. absolutely sure. I'll, I'll send it again. It's just like seven minutes of me talking about how excited I am about Goldberg Variations. Oh, inter- which one? Pam? No, Jerome Robbins. Can you imagine if New York City Ballet had done Pam Tanowitz Goldberg Variations? Well... I mean, here's That's the like thing. 10 years in the future, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. it is really, it's, it's wild. Uh, you know, we say I'd it almost every see. podcast. New York City and ABT, Pam Tanowitz. New York Pam City Tanowitz. and ABT, I mean, we'll say it again and again every episode. Pam Tanowitz. So frustrating. So frustrating. It's, I mean, yeah, ABT like, announced their women's initiative this, you know, year, and they've been dicking her around for all this time, and and now, you know, she's not even mentioned in the article about their women's initiative. And I'm like, this is insane. But we'll see what happens. Um, uh, but I would love to see a show that was Jerome Robbins' Goldberg Variations followed by Pam Tanwin's Goldberg Variations because they're both so great. I think that would drive me nuts because I just couldn't listen to that music twice. Um, oh, wow. It's like, I, I can listen to it once. I'm like, I like this. And then that, I'm good. I'm good on that. Um, I would have loved to have seen the Jerome Robbins Goldberg variations. I can't wait to hear the voice memo that you definitely didn't send. I don't have it in any of my emails. Um, And I know that Jeremy would have brought it up because then he went to them so on me about making sure that we record this. He would have been like, well, we have seven minutes. We'll just put that in. Um, So send that. and, And listeners, you can hear his review on that. I also saw... A showing of Neta Yerushalmi's uh, Paramodernities Number Five at Nyla. Oh yeah, and she invited me to it, but I was up here. I wanted to see it. How'd you like it? I liked it. I mean, I'm really interested to see all of them. They're like a strange, like lecture demonstration performance hybrid. So, like, you have to be like interested in dance history in a way. Hmm. I mean, I know yeah. that this one was Fosse, right? Yeah. And, and then the next one doing is Balanchine and mm-hmm. There's six. Balanchine, Graham, Cunningham, Fosse, Ailey, and one other. I can't remember. But um, Agon makes sense. Which uh, Graham is she doing? I don't know. Some of them are like a mashup of various things. I think Agon's right. one of the only. I think Ailey was specific to Revelations. You know, Graham might have been specific, too. I can't remember. She said all of it, and then, you know, in one year and sort of out the other. Right, right, right. Well, it's it's also, you know, while you went to a bunch of different shows. And yeah, that was right job. before I went to see City Ballet. And then what else yeah. had I seen? I I went to see Jordan Isidore's Mobiles at some little art fair in Brooklyn, which are beautiful. So check out his Mobiles, which are based on Laban notation. So, like, 
Yeah. You know, like if you look at one of the mobiles, it's like a toe-touch jump. Another one is a hinge. Another one is the Charleston. So, like, each mobile in itself is like a complete expression of a dance move. That's so wonderful. I mean, Isn't we're that good? And really they're beautiful. Good. Like, they are really beautiful. Aside from being, like, perfect and conceptual, they're absolutely beautiful. I've seen them on Instagram, and I agree. I yeah. think they're beautiful. So if you have some money and you want an absolutely beautiful mobile that is meaningful, check out Jordan Isidore's Instagram and, and, and contact him and buy one. You know what I was going to take you to this week, but you were going to be in Boston, is um, – so now I'm going to take Parker – is the Isabella Rossellini Circus Show at back. Oh, fun. Yeah. I want I want to oh. see F- – I need to just see Isabella Rossellini with her little dog and, and being sweet. It's really, I, I, I need that in my life right now. With her little dog. It's so, it's really, you know, it's really sweet. Oh, I um, listened to your, your Debbie Millman Design Matters episode. Oh, that was really, I, I really loved, uh, being interviewed by her. She comes, like when I sat down to to do the interview, she had a, a dossier in front of her of oh. notes that she'd taken. That's from, just like us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I was like, wow, we're different. And she had every interview I'd ever done with and highlighted in these different things what? that she wanted to bring up. Debbie is incredible. She is she is giving you like you know the fierce fierce uh prep and that's something i've always i've really t- listeners tune into design matters because i will say that is another podcast that i'll listen to and um i haven't heard all of them jeremy i feel has heard so many there's so many of them i mean she won the cooper hero award presented by the obamas wow oh. uh yeah she i think she got you know the last time they did it and she was at remember when um that guy from Project Runway talked about being at the Cooper Hewitt Award the last time. Um, um, Tim you love Gunn. Him. Tim Gunn. Yeah, she was there. She was wow. she was receiving uh, a Cooper Hewitt at that yeah. ceremony. That was the dinner um, where Michelle Obama. Someone said like, "Why are the why are the um, why are the serving the portions so small?" And Michelle was like, "Well, because there's usually so much waste, and we didn't want that to happen again." It's like so oh, wonderful. Can you imagine being so the person that she said that to? That's really hard. <laughs> that would that would be. I mean, shame. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. She she. But something I love about it is that she's hyper. She's super prepared and is able to. It really has a lot uh, to bring to the conversation and um, yeah. and questions that I think are really great. So I had it a was a really a, like a it was a far cry from the podcast that I listened to where like you know Casey Wilson talks about peeing in cups in her car. <laughs> well, we all need different things. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you need to mix and match. Um, I think I when uh, I'm using next couple of drives, I'm just gonna listen to podcasts on the whole way. Um, because it's a it, it it makes it nicer. Um, well, uh, we should probably wrap up because yeah, I gotta go. You're you have to go. I have to go. Have and to go. People have an interview coming up, and um, resend your descriptions. I will. They know some Goldberg. I will. I'll do that pronto. 
and it'll either go in this week or next week, depending on how long this has been. And Jeremy's in Sicily right now, and he is uh, working um, all day. So bless him for putting this together. And uh, listeners, we love you. And um, come to Russell Jansen's drag party this Sunday, and you'll definitely see Reed, and you might see me. Hurrah! Hurrah! All right. Bye. Bye. I have a special surprise. Today, <laughs> I had a consultation with famous Canadian choreographer, Robert Benet. And he's in my studio, and we're going to do a small impromptu interview before Harriet gets here. And then Harriet and I are going to tell you all about our show this weekend. But first, Robert, I'm still going to talk about you before you can talk. <laughs> I'll just watch. Thank you. Um, here's the things that I know about you. This will be fun, because I barely know anything. So I might guess. <laughs> cool. Guess okay. Me. Robert is six foot four. Three. Okay. You look really tall. Thanks. You have a long neck. Um, Robert is from Canada. Is from Ontario. Robert was trained at the National Ballet School. Okay. Robert is 26. Yes. I think I heard you say that earlier today, so yeah. that's why I got that. When you were telling me how disgusting 37-year-olds <laughs> are. <laughs> um, let me see. I know I've seen a couple Robert Binet dances, and the first dance that I saw of his was at one of the New York City Ballet Fashion Galas. And I thinks to myself, I thinks, who made this dance? <laughs> That's what I thinks. Because it was a person who, like, was thinking a little bit beyond what most other ballet choreographers in this day and age are thinking. There was, like, a sense of spatial uh, complexity that was rare. And so I went up to him at the party afterwards. I sought him out to tell him I thunk so. <laughs> and I was like, you're the guy from the movie. I am the guy from the movie. Yeah. That also happened to me. I'm bringing Robert in now. He's going to be allowed to talk. Okay. Um, that also happened to me when I was, I went to see Frankenstein. Oh. Did you hear about this? No. At San Francisco Ballet? Liam Scarlett made a Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. And this guy, Aaron Robinson. Oh, yeah, I've met him. He's really He lovely. was being the... Harriet's here. Hi. This is Robert Benet. Hi. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. I've never seen you in person. I've never seen you in person. Yeah. <laughs> Harriet, we're doing a short Robert Benet interview for the podcast, and then Harriet and I, we're going to do a pause before you and I have to discuss our shoe. Okay. So Aaron was, we had dinner with Francis, oh, your favorite, I love and her. Aaron and Vitor, who were the leads after their Frankenstein show, mm -hmm. which was, by the way, actually a scary ballet really yeah I've, like i've never actually like thought a ballet was scary until i saw that one that's good um and he we t we were chatting for a long time before at a certain point he was like i feel like i know you i feel like i've seen you <laughs> and i was like i think i bet i could guess yeah. why <laughs> at any rate why are you here in New York City. I am in New York because my boyfriend wanted to do an aptitude test. Now, this is fascinating to me. Aptitude test to figure out... Well, it's it's the Johnson O'Connor aptitude test, and they do... Both his siblings, who are not dance people, had done it... Well, actually, no, his sister's a dancer. She studies at Marymount. Um, 
but they had done it outside of a dance context just to try to figure out what they wanted to study at university. Mm -hmm. And you do, like, two days of all these different tests, and they test various aptitudes. Like, it can't test creativity, but, you know, like, he tested well in things like foresight and... I don't know, a million different wow. things you so can do. So he already at. has the results? Yeah, so at the end of the two days, they do this consultation where they talk about, like, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and within what your field of interests are, what kind of career paths or jobs might be good for you because he's he wants to just start preparing himself for a career beyond being a dancer, and he's been wanting to take some university courses and trying to think about what to actually study. He? He's 21. <clears throat> Oh, <laughs> early retirement. Yeah. I really, that was not Well, the age foresight I was, I was, was his wow, <laughs> number one skill. That's good. Yeah. Wow. They were right. Yeah. No, they really were. Johnson and Johnson? Johnson O'Connor. Johnson and Johnson. Aptitude, not body lotion. Wow. Um, yeah, but it was really fascinating because all the stuff they said about him, I was like, whoa, yeah, like that's not stuff I would have been pull out been able to pull out but it's really true and the fact that their tests can determine that is it like a test where you fill in a fill in dots like SATs no I think there was some like that like the vocabulary test was a bit like that some was like you know they play rhythms in your ear and you have to tell them whether rhythms are the same or different some are all like spoken or like visual it's I know I was telling him when I was really a little kid they thought I had a learning disability so they like sent me to this place where I just like played with this adult woman and I loved it because there was like a grown-up interested in playing mm-hmm. with toys with me but really they were like watching me play with these toys that had these very specific tests did they come to a conclusion I think it was just like I should ask my mom <laughs> you may still I don't have remember. a learning disability <laughs> yeah I how'd you do in school I did okay once I stopped I have the worst handwriting in the world so Actually, they thought I had a learning disability until I broke my arm in grade two, and then I couldn't write, so I had to dictate to a teacher, and then they were like, oh, it's all there. Oh, wow. Um, Wait, so I then have, computers rolled in. How old in. were you when, when you went to the National? I started when I was 11. Okay, that seems like the age. Yeah. They don't have people too much younger than that. No, that's as young as you and can And you go. were a boarding student. I was a day student, like, not boarding, until grade 11 I went into residence. Oh, just for the last couple years? Yeah, it was, like, partly there are so few day students that you're just, like, on the outside. Also, my parents split up then, and I didn't like going between Mm. their houses, and it was just all very overwhelming, so we decided. I always did my best at anything when I felt at my most independent. So as soon as I went into residence, like, I did much better in school and in ballet. And And you got to train both in the old building and the new building. Yeah, I, like, was exactly half and half, And did you have to swim in the cold, cold pool that I've heard so much about? Yes, my whole life. You guys. It's horrible. It's one of my favorite stories from people who went to (laughs) the National. I don't know. The fact that they... <clears throat> had all these ballet kids get in a freezing cold pool to yeah, do, like, like water sit Friday sit-ups. at 5.45, after all your dance classes, you then go and get in, like, a horrible, horrible pool and, like, swim lengths and do push-ups. I chipped my tooth because we had to do push-ups on the side, and That's I hit my price. face, and then the kid behind me caught my tooth. <gasps> How much is a tooth? <laughs> I mean, broke. Well, like, this is all fake. Can't you know what? Doing this on a podcast. This is all fake. Really? Whole thing. Oh, mine's just half. Well, it was But every half, once in a while it falls out. But then out. it turned black. Robert, just the what half. do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like the replacements are only supposed to last like five years, and so I forget about it. And then every like after five years, I'll like bite into a peach and lose half my tooth. Wow! But wait a minute. So you didn't have to have a root canal because no. the top half isn't turned. Yeah, gray. so it's just like 
this. Oh, yeah. So then that's that what happened to me. I broke it in half. Top half turned gray. Oh. When I was like twenty, I was like, I'm done with that. So yeah. I got a whole new tooth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just a bottom half tooth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's my nickname. <laughs> bottom half tooth. Um, <clears throat> okay. So you, when you you had a weird trajectory because when you finished National Ballet School. Did you even entertain the idea of being in a ballet company? Or were you just like, I'm a choreographer? Yeah, I mean, like, I entertained it, but I had a really serious injury, and it kind of got to the point where, like... You do have, like, maybe the longest spine I've ever seen, so I'm not... (laughs) Not surprised. Surprised. Yeah, and it kind of got to this thing where it was, like, I had been off and, like, doing rehab stuff for, like, a year and a half, and the doctors were sort of, like it's more a question of your long-term health. Like, do you want to push to dance for five years or do you want to, like, walk when you're 50? Um, Mm. And at the same time, I started getting more opportunities to choreograph and realized, like, that made me even happier. Um, And so I just kind of... What I said to my parents was, like, just give me a year, and if I get nowhere, I'll go to university and, like, do something else, but let me just try this. And they were super supportive... Um, and it was also, I, when I was in my last year at the National Ballet School, I got in to do the New York Choreographic Institute, um, which was really cool because it was the first time I choreographed, like, outside of my little world, um, and I was like, oh, maybe I can actually do this. And Um, did you use kids from SAB? Yeah. So, like, Sebastian Villarini was uh in that. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone else, Aaron... Sons. Aaron. Aaron, sorry, <laughs> was in that. Um, and then I don't think any of the girls who were in that ended up in the company. Um, actually, Zarina Stonky, who's in Dresden, mm. where you'll probably meet her, was in that. And after that, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. So I just decided. I mean, it was terrifying, and a lot of people were like, no, you have to dance in a company first. But I also, at, while I was injured, realized I had no interest in coming back to perform like I just I wanted to be able to do class but I didn't want to go on stage at all like it wasn't exciting to me and then how you have like some titles what do you have some title in England no I was the I was choreographic apprentice at the Royal Ballet like in 2011 and 2012 oh that's a two-year job it was just like a So I met Wayne McGregor through this workshop thing he ran that I participated in, and I had just decided, well, I was in Toronto, and the thing is, like, there's a lot of support for ballet, but there, you know, I wanted to go somewhere where I could see so much more work and Mm. meet so many more choreographers, and I basically said to him, like, I I don't want to go home, um, (laughs) because I was learning so much working with him, and he said, okay, like, come up with a proposal for what you want to do, and you can come back for a couple months, maybe, and, like watch me work and I don't know and then I went home and I figured out because Canada is part of the Commonwealth I could get a two-year visa to live in the UK by like proving I could speak English and yeah (laughs) problematic histories um so I went there and then they created this position for me which was amazing and it was a cool time to be there because it was Monica Mason's last year and Kevin O'Hare's first um and I sort of got to do their like choreographic workshop thing and I got to watch Wayne and whoever else work as much as I wanted I got to watch everything they did so it was just an amazing and did you get to make work on students or something so I did their choreographic workshop twice which is just like you work with dancers in their spare time um and then at what point and you have a title at the national yeah so then once I finished that 
I um I moved back to Canada and Karen created the position of choreographic associate for me, which was super cool. Um, And it was kind of, it was really funny how it came about. She wouldn't mind me telling this story. Like, I was at home, because I was actually trying to apply for another UK visa, which I didn't get. And I was at home, and she emailed me saying, it was like a Thursday, and she was like, can you come to the season closing party on Sunday? I'm going to be announcing a new position. It would be great if you could be there. And I literally had to write back, like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's been nice because... Did she not understand that you didn't know, or was that just her way of being, like, surprised? No, she genuinely thought she had talked to me about it. <laughs> wow. But that's... And is this, like, that's a full... T- is it, like, you get it, you're on salary? No, not at all. Oh. So there was, like, we've really built it as we've gone, like... It's sort of the first season I was doing it, she had already commissioned me to make a piece for the company, so she kind of folded it in with that, and as, like, a young Canadian working in ballet who had come through the school, she was like, you know, I really feel like you should have a relationship with this company. And I had made stuff for their apprentices and that kind of stuff. Um, And then it's slowly grown, and now this is my fifth season, which seems crazy, but I make usually one or two pieces for the company, not like part of the main season, maybe something in the season, something like a pot of for the gala or for an outreach program or mm. in a different space. And then I also run our choreographic workshop, which I really love because it's for dancers within the company, but I've also been bringing in people from outside. And at, at, at this point, what companies have you made dances for? Um, so National Ballet of Canada, the Royal Ballet, New York City Ballet, Company Wayne McGregor, Estonian National Ballet, Hamburg Ballet's Junior Company, Dutch National's Junior Company, Ballet Black, Ballet Moscow. I feel bad if I'm forgetting. That anyone. was like one of the best like songs I've ever heard. <laughs> what you just did. I could have listened to that for days. Was it the tone or the content? It was sort of the meter of it and then it was hypnotic and then there was like one long pause and then you said Ballet Moscow and then I was like this is a beautifully composed work. Congratulations. I don't know who you've danced with but that was a lot. I mean choreographed for. You've danced yeah. for nobody. nobody. Um, but you are doing an interesting thing right now. What you were telling me about is that you're commissioning a friend. Oh, yeah. I just asked her yesterday. She was like, just for fun, don't pay me. But I want to pay her because people should be paid for the work they do. Um, but, yeah, I was, I'm just at a point where I feel a little stuck creatively. And I want to not perform, but I want to get dancing again. I've been taking as many Gaga classes as I can. And I love it and find it completely fascinating. Um, and then this friend of mine who I was in school with in Canada, but she's been like freelance in the New York dance community for a long time. And we've always just had like a great creative connection. I asked her if I could commission her to create a solo for me. Um, just because I want to have a better understanding of what it's like to be on that side of the process and like what I can bring to that sort of role in a collaboration and also to just help me find new possibilities in my body because I'm not like I don't make phrases on my own and go in and teach them to Mm -hmm. people at all like it's very much what I see in the dancer and what excites me and what comes out of our collaboration like I make it all on their body um but I'm at a place where I just want like more tools and maybe my body can become a more useful tool to me what responsibility Robert (laughs) good job learning thinking well it's just there's so few opportunities as a choreographer to be a student 
and I'm really hungry for that because you're like always in charge which is great to an extent well that's what I mean it's like great in that you know I'm always working on projects I want to work on which is like in any profession the most it's such a wonderful privilege right Um, but at the same time it means like you're I don't know just to sort of like grow something from someone else's seed of an idea um And, like, figure out how you can be so supportive of someone else's process. Like, I mean, I remember you guys talking about this, how, like, a choreographer always comes with an idea, and then you have to support it. Like, what if, like, the Nutcracker thing you did. Like, what if you guys have the main concept? And I'm kind of interested in finding projects where I don't necessarily have to come in with, like, the Bible of this is what we're doing. Right. But how can my skills support a vision? I mean, I think... It can work both ways, but, I mean, we love being in processes where, like, everybody is in conversation. Yeah. And so, like, it's not just, like, everyone doing the bidding of one person. Exactly, and that's my favorite. And I totally understand that there are people who have, like, such a sort of finite idea of what they want it to be that they just need doers around them to But I don't have that. Like, I find getting to the finite idea... Like, if I don't, for example, if I don't know the dancers, it's so hard for me to imagine something. It's Mm. not like I just have this thing I'm going to make that I can impose on whoever's there. Like, I really, I have to, I have to have an understanding of the people. And then my favorite thing is when I can build a team and then it just kind of becomes like a beautiful group project and takes, takes on its own momentum. Like, I'm working on this project for the National Ballet that's a couple years down the line, but, like, the lighting designer is just involved in developing the story as the librettist Mm, and I am. Um, And that's partly a product of the people, but also, I hope, of kind of the dynamic I try to create within a team because I think the reason I like to do what I do is to collaborate. I like working with other people. I don't like being on my own in a room. Um, And that's the cool thing, like, every step of the way as a choreographer, you're collaborating. There's not a single thing you can just do I guess that's true. You can't just go do the job yourself on yeah. stage. I mean, if you're a solo performer and creator, like, that's a different thing, and you can, but in the type of work I do, like, I can sit at home and I can think. I mean, Can I can we, can Reed and Harriet make a dance on you one day? Yes. Oh, we'll call it Daddy Longlegs. <laughs> can I wear one of those costumes? Yeah. Um, are there any foods you're allergic to? How did you know? I have so many food allergies. I don't know. I'm being very intuitive with you today. I'm allergic to gluten and dairy, and I don't do well with processed sugar or carrots or eggs. Well, you're going to stay thin. <laughs> you're always going to have nice skin or something. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, but it's been since I Did was... Did you say carrots? I can eat carrots. I okay. just, like, don't feel great. Gluten and dairy have been, like, since I was a baby, so people are like, oh, do you miss it? I'm like, I don't know what milk tastes like. Um, it's delicious. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> the only thing I always, like, wish I could have are, like, cakes and pastries and things. Because they're the kind of things, by how they look, you know how good they taste. Sometimes. But a lot of times, my friends say it's creepy, but I make them eat things and describe it to me in detail. Have you sought out, like, good, like, um, dairy-free, gluten-free bakeries? Well, in New York, there's so much like that, which is... Yeah. There's this place, Hugh Kitchen, which has, like... Here it's, in New York? Yeah. Hugh? Like, H-U... Kitchen. Who? Who? <laughs> um, and they make like everything I've ever wanted to be able to eat, but without any of the things I'm allergic to. It's like wow. someone went inside my fantasies and were like, here's all the food. Does it taste like your dreams? 
Yeah, like soft-baked chocolate chip cookies that I'm not allergic they to. They probably taste awful, but you wouldn't know. But I don't know, That's and I'll great. spend like $30 on them because I have no idea. <laughs> Do you have a pet? I don't. My mom has a dog, which I love very much, so she's kind of my dog. And the dog is near near you? Yes, in Toronto. Okay, so you live near your mom. Well, like in the same city, it's probably like... How often do you see her? I've been seeing her like almost once a week lately, which is really nice. That's great. Does she make yeah. you a meal? Sometimes. Often we go out, because I'll okay. get her to like meet me downtown. I live quite downtown, like near the theater. Do you live studios. with your boyfriend? No. No. Okay. No. Separate bedroom, separate bath. That's good. <laughs> I mean, we spend most ni- most nights together, but we don't live together. There's just no okay. rush. TMI, Sorry. Robert. <laughs> well, Robert. <it's laughs> is that great. what I'm going <laughs> to leave it with? <laughs> you guys, Robert is potentially not a virgin and unmarried. <laughs> you guys, unmarried. <laughs> I think that was good. Yeah. Do you have anyone you need to say hi to? Um, Do we have any listeners in Canada besides you? I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone about your podcast. Robert. Maybe I should start. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. I don't know. All right. I know my friend Alexis Maragoses listens from um, Canmore. So, hello, Alexis. How are the children? Canmore. Have you been skiing? I tried. It didn't go well. <laughs> Anyways... Um, we loves you, and there's more to come on this podcast, or this is the end. I'm not sure. We have yet to put it together. It's Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. Say goodbye, Robert. Bye. So I'm in the, um, on the, uh, in the mezzanine, is that what it's called? The, you know, first, first ring at State Theater. Um, I am literally looking at Brian Siebert across the way. There he goes. Um... I thought I needed to record something to you straight away because I just uh, saw Goldberg Variations at New York City Ballet, uh, a piece that I haven't seen in many years. I don't know the last time it went here, but for me, I feel like it's been at least 10 years. And um, wow, it really took me by surprise. I didn't remember it being so unbelievable. And I really hope that you can come and see this dance I was really thrown for a loop it made me really emotional Um, when the dance started I thought to myself you know I don't remember how Jerome Robbins handles this music and for some reason I didn't have uh, an enormous amount of faith but boy was I wrong it's just an unbelievable achievement Um, and in no way diminishes Pam Tanowitz Goldberg Variations achievement they couldn't be two more different pieces except for that they're made by two people who know and honor the form in such an unbelievably informed and respectful way. Uh, Jerome Robbins, uh, I mean, his sort of mastery of, of geometry and of kind of humanism, it's really, a, really a beautiful thing to watch. And he repeatedly refers to Balanchine dances inside of this work, which feels really beautiful. I don't know the year it was made. Was Balanchine dead? I should look in my program. I'm going to find out for you right now. You know, while I find out, I'm going to talk a little about the costumes, which I thought were really peculiar. Um, This dance is from... Just a second... 1971. So Balanchine was very much alive. 
And what a beautiful homage to him in his lifetime to refer to him so generously and so beautifully. Susan Walters played an hour and a half of Goldberg Variations like it was nothing. It was so beautiful. My God. She's strange and amazing. Um, The dancers were so amazing. The piece opens peculiarly with... um, Peculiarly... 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 I don't know. With uh, Miriam Miller and our own sons, who are very beautiful and long, just as figures, standing there in black and white kind of... uh, iterations of kind of 18th century clothing and they do this little dance which feels um, slight in a way and then the first whole first section of the dance is led by uh, six kind of younger members of the company or younger principals and the men all have these beautiful um, tank unitards with like a white t-shirt underneath it and they're every single man in the dance has their own kind of earthy color there's a gold and a nice reddish brown and a gray blue and a moss green there's a red and on and on a beautiful purple and a forest green and for some reason the women even at the beginning of this dance which is kind of the piece sort of takes you from very abstract to very literal clothing-wise. And for some reason, the women are in little leotards and skirts rather than just being in the same outfit as the men, which I think would have been the right choice. Um, and the women's color variation is so slight. Emily Garrity was in mint green. Lauren Lovett was in a kind of violet pink. And then all of the core girls were in a kind of peachy pink. And I thought... How come all the core boys get their own color, but all the core girls are stuck in these silly skirts, in these silly pastels? It just made them seem kind of, like, insignificant in a way. It didn't ground them in the way that the men were so beautifully grounded. And then the costumes kind of progress from there and become more and more kind of formalized and more and more period until the end of the piece. Everybody, the men are in 18th century, uh, sort of... um, coats, with, even with like knickers with tassels on the knees, and um, the women are in, bodiced, uh, in bodices with fuller tulle skirts and blah, blah, blah. The thing that really stunned me costume-wise, and I thought was actually the most extraordinary and beautiful thing, I'm going to sneeze. Uh, maybe. Maybe I'm not. Um is that the very, very end, Aron and Miriam walk back in, and again, they're in these white and black colors, but now they've taken on the costumes of the people in the first section of the dance. And for some reason, that really got me. I had a few tears over that. Anyways, um, I've had a real dance week. Saw Kyle's show, saw the show Mark Morris. I just went to showing at Nyla of the latest Netta thing, and there was a really good talk back after it. Um, I, uh, I don't remember what else I did, but at any rate, wow, that gave me so many feelings. It was riveting. Oh, and all of these dancers, my God, I'm so in love with them. They're just so 
present and beautiful and flawed and I loved it and Ashley Bowder and Andy Viette who are you know my generation and Jared and it's just so beautiful to see these people still on stage and still doing such beautiful work and now more than ever they seem so connected to one another and to the space and to this place and um, anyways I love them and which is not to say I mean also Tyler Engel and Sarah Mearns and my god Tyler is so connected physically to music and rhythm and his whole coordination is so built on that the fundamental idea of like the body being driven by uh, uh, the rhythms inside of the music it's just like it's magic anyways you guys uh, come see Goldberg Variations if you can I don't know how many more times it goes this could be it but I'm so glad that I got to see this this time around Anyways, goodbye. Loves you.